When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Hello everybody, welcome along. It is another edition of the Cricket Badger podcast and for once, for once we're not talking about an England team that succumbed to an almighty defeat. We're talking about a brave, solid, spirited England resolve that saw them back draw in Sydney and it means, gentlemen, Phil and Mark joining me today that it's not going to be 5-0. Um, I'm going to bring you back onto this different picture because that looks better, doesn't it? Um, it's not going to be 5-0, Phil. Yeah, well, I th- we, we went back to our predictions. Um, I think most of us suggested we might get away with one, and I think most of us thought the weather might be the key to that. So, um, yeah, it's all good. We'll take what we can get. It was still a gutsy performance and uh, some really creditable performances. Crawley came out of it looking excellent. Wood came out with his uh, excellence as well. Bearstow's cracking knock. So, yeah, uh, I'm particularly pleased with Bearstow because I, I certainly gave him a bit of stick for his knock in the... Last in uh, last game, which I have to say pressed every last nerve that I have. But he was um, he was top quality in that in in that first innings, and uh, really pleased for him. And Mark, if it hadn't been for the rain, Jimmy and Stuart might have even seen England home. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a that's a distinct possibility. They had they got that sixty overs in. They might have uh, Jimmy might have got his reverse sweep out, and if it had stayed cloudy, they'd have to keep the spinners on. But um, yeah, we got the result. Um, it was a better performance. There were some good individual performances. So, Bairstow in particular, as Phil alluded to, obviously Zach Crawley got a, got some runs at the top of the order. Stuart Broad come back in and got five wickets. Um, so, England performed better as individuals, not as, you know, still collectively. But not let's not get carried away. Uh, it, uh, Australia dominated the game. Um 65 overs were lost to the rain. And if they'd have got just another 15 or 20 overs of them back, they'd have won comfortably. 
So let's not get the hyperbole of, um, you know, if we'd have had, if, if, if the test series started now, we'd be fine. I don't think we would, uh, but it was a much improved performance and well done to those people who performed when they could have easily folded. Stick with you, Mark, because you made a comment on our WhatsApp group about um, a lot of people coming out now and saying, well, if they'd had a proper warm-up, if they've if they been in the country longer, if they'd had three or four games prior to the Test Series starting, um, they would have been like now at the start of this series. But I, I kind of came back to that. with If you actually look at who's performing for England, they're not actually the people that have been playing. It's Crawley's come in late, Bairstow's come in late, Broad's been in and out. The, the ones that are actually stepping up and actually making a difference aren't the ones that have played more games. Yeah, I think that was just clutching at straws, really. I think, um, and, he, and as I just said, 65 overs of us were lost out of the game. If those overs weren't lost out of the game, England would still have been annihilated. And well, even, that, even the seven they lost on the final day might have made the difference. So, well, that's right. He, he, England would have still lost and we'd, we'd have been talking completely differently 4-0. And 4-0 being... They were dominated in the game. Let's not forget it. They were dominated. It's just because our expectations have become so low. We're so pleased that, you know, Zach Crawley has actually got some runs. He's not the next David Gower yet, but he's got some runs. We please, And I'm really pleased that Bairstow looked like the old Johnny Bairstow a few years ago. And that's really, really good. And I'm pleased that Jack Leach showed a bit more river. But it's just because we've come so low down that we're pleased about those things. Um, but I don't think it made any difference if we'd played one more games now. All it needed was for Cummings to declare 20 overs earlier. And um, we were probably staring down at 4-0. I mean, Phil, I, I made that comment, actually. I was on another podcast earlier and I said the it was like Australia hadn't been watching England bat. They didn't need that many, did they? No, they didn't need that many. I they knew the weather was coming. We thought the weather was going to be far worse, acting gales and storms, etc. on day five. We thought that was what was going to save us. And unfortunately, when we rocked up on Friday morning, it was it was reasonable weather. Um, I mean, to anybody out there watching this, please explain to me how we can put men on the moon, we can create vaccines, we can do all these incredible technological advances in the world, but every single app that you look at with weather tells you something different. I, I mean, you, you're better off just looking out your window, and that's Bradford. I can tell what's happening in Sydney better in Bradford than I can do looking at the weather forecast. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but it, it, I mean, if you've got to expect the worst, they're already 3-0 up. He puts an ambitious total in. If he leaves us 300, it's still not going to be enough for... Um, we're, we're never going to chase down 300 on on uh, most tracks, and not on that track either. So to leave us closer to four just seemed... Over, a, a, well, I thought it was a bit of a waste opportunity, but Cummins hasn't got much wrong. Yeah, I mean, I'd be, to be fair, even after the declaration, I thought he marshaled his troops in the field very well. It just flattened out a little bit, that pitch, which gave England a little bit of a get-out, didn't it? And uh, yeah. let, Let's start with some of the players, then, that we've been talking about. Zach Crawley, who I, I was a bit concerned about. When they brought him back for the third Test match, after averaging 10 for 12 months, you're thinking, chuck him out at the MCG. This is putting the poor kid on the hiding to nothing. He's only 23 still. Um, but he actually did, Mark, look really good in that second innings. He, anything loose, he put away for four. Yes, he, he benefited from the fact that most of the fields were behind the back because they were all in catching positions, but you still have to put the, play the shots. He was leaving well outside of his off stump and he looked a far better player. Yeah, he looked. A, he, he played well for a couple of hours. He, he, he played really well. He can. He was pulling the ball well, cut, you know, he was driving it well. He, he looked a proper player. Um, 
I mean, the key, obviously, is for him to do it consistently. And throughout his I know you keep saying he's 23, he's this, that, and the other, but, you know, he's got to put it together consistently. Um, he has a habit of scoring cameos that look good for Kent and England and then going on a run of low scores again. And you, sometimes you get players like that. Sometimes you get players who can look a million dollars, but then they will, and you invest in them, but they're just not consistent. And he has to find that consistency if he wants to be an England opener or a number three long term. He's got the ability. He needs to find the mental fortitude to, to play like he did um, on whenever it was, Sunday. Know where his off stump is and develop his game where he does put the bad balls away, but he's got a trust in his technique that he can defend as well. Um, and that's what he showed the other night, um, or sort of in daytime in Australia, middle of the night for us. Uh, but he has to get consistency into his game. And it's no longer people saying he's 23. He's played a few test matches now. He's been around for a while. He has to get that consistency. There's no point getting 70 and then a run of low scores and then another 70. We need I mean, to if, see- you, if, if, if you look at his run of form... Um, since that 267 against Pakistan, which was on the 21st of September 2020. Since then, 985, 1353, duck, 9522, duck, 1727, 612, 518, 77. There is nothing, apart from 150, there is nothing for about 16 or 17 That's- innings. Since 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 the, um, the last, yeah two sixty seven everybody was saying what a fantastic player two sixty seven he's the future yeah. and then nothing since let's not get overboard like like we not go overboard with the draw let's not go overboard with Crawley he has to show consistency we've had players like this in the past there was a player a long time ago who played for Lancashire so my age now called Frank Hayes he used to do the same you know so he has to get that consistency in his game. Um, and he'll only get that consistency by playing um, a consistent run of test match cricket and first-class cricket. And if he doesn't get it, then he can't. He will obviously get dropped again, but he's got to get the consistency. And he's got to work with the coaches and get the right mental attitude. Phil, um, Zach Crawley, I guess, after that 77, has cemented himself into the, the England team for the West Indies and beyond there, wasn't he? I mean, it's only 77 runs, it's one innings, but he's basically done enough to probably get him in that team for the next 12 months, isn't he? Well, yeah, I mean, next in line was Mark and I, so (laughs) someone had to uh, stand up. What what he's done is bought himself a bit of time. Thank thank goodness he scored some runs then. Yeah, exactly. Um, What he's done is bought some time and he's just released a bit of that pressure, just just taken it because it was... It was unbearable for, or it's unbearable for me just watching Burns, and it's it's horrible watching Hamid go through the same um, pressure cooker happens every time he's out I've, there. You're just I've got fearful. a horrible feeling you might be watching Rory Burns again in the coming week. Yeah, I know, but I mean, there's so much has gone on that um, it it you know hopefully that's just taken a bit of the sting out of it. Um, and Crawley's 77. We finally got an an opening partnership of was it more than 30. Um, so it's just anything to, to take the edge off of the of the pain that the opening the openers have had to suffer in this series. But I, I mean, Mark's obviously absolutely right. But just taking that bit of pressure off, buying himself a few test matches. Of course, he's he, he's uh, starting in the next test match. Um, whatever happens there, it's a bit of a dead rubber. He can live off this one at least until we start in the West Indies and then hopefully things will be a bit easier and he can use this, the confidence that it brings. Cricket is such a confidence game. It's such a it's such a mental game that 
hopefully uses this. Clearly, he's bright enough to understand understand leaving on length because that that I thought was the best bit of what what he was doing was leaving leaving stuff. Um, I thought scoring wise, it was all a bit leg side. But then if if they're going to bowl straight or down leg side, you've got to put it away. I also think that it wasn't the longest of innings. He was going along at a fair rate. Was it seventy seven off of a hundred balls? I, I you know I love a bit of filth. I love people to grind out you know a two hundred ball fifty just to make someone suffer. Uh, I'd like to see a bit of that from somebody. Obviously, we got that from Butler a little while ago. But that you know, I, you're on a swear box for mentioning him, so we, we, we won't mention him anymore. I'm, I'm not, not even allowed to box. mention my own surname, am I? No, no. But um, yeah, it, look, it's. Take it for what it is. It, it's only a positive. He's in his in, in, in the second innings, and you know, let's give him a bit of time now to make the most of it. Badges are furry creatures. Eighty-five percent of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn-off. Eighty percent of women badges think men should trim below the belt. Eighty-nine percent of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscaped.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com. Quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com. Together, we save balls. Uh, anybody watching? Anybody uh, on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube? Um, send us your questions in. Post a question. We will discuss, as it said on the screen. Jonathan Young has done exactly that. He says, James, you asked on Twitter what Giles, Ashley Giles, has been doing. I think he's been what can only be described as marking his own homework in prepping the reports of the Ashes series defeat. Um, thanks for your question, Jonathan. Send uh, anybody else, any, send them in if you want to. Um Ashley Giles is some. I mean, there's going to be a lot, um, assuming that England don't win in Hobart, which will probably mask everything. Um, there's going to be a lot of fallout from this tour. Some people may never play for England again. They'll look at the coaching structure. They'll look at everything. They'll, they'll Ashley Giles will write a report about what uh, the future of English cricket should be. Um, I I think Ashley Giles is actually quite a fault for this. I mean, Mark giving Chris Silverwood pretty much autonomy on who gets played, how you coach, everything else, almost passes the book to Chris Silverwood. So he's in the firing line and Ashley can just kind of like stay behind the wall and wait for what happens. And as we saw in Sydney, I mentioned it on Twitter, I didn't see Ashley Giles at all until they were batted all the way through the afternoon session. Ben Stokes walked off with Johnny Bairstow. Ashley Giles was the first one to appear at the top of the balcony to to, get, to wave them all in. He seems to be looking for good PR at the minute rather than actually good, you know, a good future for English cricket, as far as yeah. I can see. The way they've set it up now, it's like a football club, isn't it? You've got your manager and Ashley Giles is like the chairman, not the chairperson. Um, and, and therefore, when things are going wrong, the, you know, the chairman usually sacks the manager and he usually has a bit of a spin on what should be done and what shouldn't be done. I mean, Giles in, Giles in his interview last week, um, when he came over, I listened to the interview. He was, he was, it wasn't a very progressive interview, was, this is all I can say. It was an interview from a leader who was basically on the defensive and making excuses and looking to the 1990s to justify 
this tour, when we've moved on from them, we've got central contracts and all different types of things, different from the 90s. But also talking about the first class structure and all the stuff going on in county cricket. Giles has known for years the problems in first class cricket. But, you know, he's been a coach for, he was in a coach before he was um, England director and whatever. He knows the problems. He hasn't, he hasn't addressed them. All he's done is exacerbate them by going along with the process over the last two or three years. So, for instance, Mark, I mean, Mark, that, one of the things um, that he said was that he hadn't had time to plan for Australia because of um, everything that they've been doing in COVID and, and, and what have you. I would accept that. I accept this mitigation. I, I I, just, let, just let me oh, finish. Sorry. I don't either. Um, but and, and he also said that, as you said, systemic problems in the domestic game. Well, you've been in the, in the job enough now, Ashley, to actually have actually set the ball rolling to actually do something about all that. He said as well that... Um, they play too much cricket. Well, somebody at the ECB signs off for all of these series they're playing. So at some stage, somebody should say, we're playing too much cricket, let's not go there and there. It was um, it was a litany of excuses in terms of we're playing too much cricket, um, we're, doing, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing... You know, it was a litany of... And talk, talk about preparation. Yes, obviously COVID's impacted. It's impacted every side in the world. And England have played more cricket than a lot of other nations. But it was Giles who was saying that seven months ago, going into the English summer, that we're well prepared for the Ashes, whatever happens. Yeah. You know, we've got all these bases covered, that we're planning, we've done this, we've done rotation. Whatever happens, it'll happen. And then we get to Brisbane and they leave Anderson and Broad out. And then Giles obviously comes back and said, well, obviously I have to look at the selections and I have to look at obviously those things. That's how he's putting Silverwood out to dry. But as you say, he's put Silverwood in that in that invidious position. But it was Giles who was saying on an interview, I heard him say on an interview, we have all the tools to win the Ashes about seven months ago. So, you know, he gets paid a lot of money. He's the head honcho, so he should be accountable. I'm not saying he should be sacked, but he should be accountable and, and recognise the mistakes he's made and rectify them and say they've made mistakes rather than making excuses. Phil, Phil um, as, as Jonathan sort of hinted at in that question, it's it's kind of a little bit strange, isn't it? When the person who is in charge of cricket, and it's probably the book stops with Ashley Giles, and well, Tom Harrison and Ashley Giles, it's Ashley Giles that's going to be writing the report to give to Tom Harrison, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, someone's got to write the report. And look, the, the, the they'll be aware of the issues. Um, in terms of interviews he's given in the past, I mean, it's a fair point to make. People are going to compare and contrast, but what else is he meant to say six months before an Ashes tour? He's not going to come out and say we're about to get seven shades belted out of us um, by the Aussies. It's, it, it, it's... I, I, to I totally agree, but I mean, I, I, I think... I don't know if you, either of you two watch, listen to the Jonathan Agnew um, six-parter on the BBC about how they were preparing for the Ashes yeah. and all of these backroom staff, the nutritionist, the strength and condition, which is um, the um, director of operations. They were basically describing it as no stone has been left unturned for this Ashes series. Yeah. And you, you, you know, they're all experts in their own field. They've all got great um, instincts and and um, the right intentions. But if, if all of that's been going on, and, and Jonathan Agnew's um, documentary lasted for 12 months and they've been working before that, See, yep. Ashley Giles can't stand there and say they've not been planning for the Ashes, can they? No, look, he can't. Oh, clearly they've been planning for the Ashes. But it, it it doesn't necessarily follow that all that planning will lead to success. 
I mean, but for but for that planning and that preparation, we could have been losing test matches in two days. Um, I mean, it, it, it's it it's it's inconceivable that all that preparation hasn't had some positive effect. It probably it might well be covering some cracks that we don't even know are there. To be, brilliant. I mean, the, the the thing that annoys me or, or worries me mostly is. England have lost 5 0 in, in Australia before. We've we've all seen that. They've yeah. gone down under with all the hopes and dreams and come back with five nil defeats. But at least in those five nil defeats, they've been close and they've been they've had first innings leads in a couple of the test matches they've they've ended up losing and uh, and at least they've competed for sessions and days of those matches. Apart from in this last one where they hung on for a draw, they've not competed at all, really, have they? No, I mean, there's there's no argument really. It's this is as close as we've got to a competition, and this was almost an innings defeat in and of itself. Again, so um, it, it was, um, you know, it was massive. This was a this would have been a really massive defeat with 200 runs. Were we behind still at the end? So it was, it, it, yeah, we we're not competing sufficiently. We're not even really winning sessions, but. When you look at what's there in the background, it's not really a selection issue. I mean, what's there? What's different? There's nobody. There's nobody we're pointing at. I suppose you've got Archer injured. Um, he would definitely have been significant on this tour. Well, Archer and Ollie Stone, maybe. Yeah, uh, but I, I'm not sure bowling is really. I mean, we haven't looked yeah. incredibly attacking, but it's the batting that appears to be the issue. Yeah. We've made. Some I mean, Mark, Mark as, as as Stuart Broad said in one of his interviews, he said, um, "Yeah, we he he, did, he was suggesting the bowling wasn't the issue because if England are scoring one forty-seven, yeah, what can the bowlers do about that apart from bowl Australia out for a one forty-seven? I guess, but he has a point, doesn't he? Well, it's simple, really. If you don't score runs consistently enough, you're not going to win Test matches. You may do occasionally. You may get bowled out." cheaply occasionally for 100 and still win but over time you're going to lose and that's that's been the problem for England for on time now so Broad was right and you know you're putting more pressure on the likes of Broad and Anderson they're not getting any younger and you look at Jimmy Anderson's stats for second innings over the last 18 months and you can see his stats are down but he's you know he's, he's out on the pitch every other day bowling 20 overs so I think any bowler's stats would be down to the second inning for this England batting. Atrocious. And so Stuart Broad was absolutely right. Um, I don't like the idea of divisions between batters and bowlers in camps, but he was right. And, he, you know, he, I'm fair play for him to say for saying it. You are listening to the Cricket Badger podcast. I actually don't think there are too many divisions in that England team. I, I think... The press, obviously, at some stages, almost tries to manufacture divisions in a losing side. But I've kind of watched them quite closely coming out on the pitch. Everybody seems to be, you know, together in that England squad, which at least that that shows something in the management and shows something in Joe Root's captaincy that despite the fact that, you know, I'd be the first to admit that Root is probably not the best strategic captain. I think he's got that squad together and he's got that dressing room together. I think he still holds the dressing room from what they're saying. Um, I think the press have obviously made quite a lot of um, noise about the so-called divisions. Um, but I think there's some solid characters in There's some strong characters in there. But I don't think you could question the um, character of people like Anderson, Broad, Butler. Is it, yeah, there's a difference, Mark, isn't there, between in a, in a team environment, whether it's an office or a, a sports team, there's a difference between speaking up and being... 
um, honest and critical and and constructive and falling out, isn't there? Yeah, and I think this England team, uh, not just um, not just on the cricket pitch, but generally in the awareness they've shown of lots of different issues over the last eighteen months, have shown themselves to be, you know, highly articulate young men. Um, so I think you know there's a good there's a good team spirit there. They're, they're intelligent guys. You can see that simply when they give interviews and they talk. Um, so I don't think there's huge divisions there. Whether Roop's the right captain on the field, I have my doubts about. But um, I think they've, they've pulled together. Um, they've worked as hard as they can. They've tried to rectify the situation, but they're simply not as good as Australia. And that's and, and it's not a great Australian side. And they haven't been able to compete because they're not good enough compared to that Australian side at the moment. Phil, I know Mark was um, ahead of Hasip Hamid's inclusion in the squad and, and in the team, was thinking, is it too early? Does he need to get more runs for his belt in county cricket? I'm I'm taking that out of Mark's mouth, but I'd have heard him say that before. But the, um, he, he's having a torrid time, isn't he, Hasib? Would you stick with him? Um, do you know, I, it's really hard to say because in an ideal world, we'd take him out of the spotlight and give someone else a rest. But the alternative is shoving Burns back into the spotlight. Um, and he's got his own issues. So we're damned if we do, we're damned if we don't. I'll, I'll be honest, I would probably take him out and I would just, I'd probably stick Bearstow up there and just give him this, this test match now, to be honest, has just got to be done, gone out of the way and, um, you know, just put in a credible performance. We're not going to win anything other than pride. What we need to do is not damage young players anymore. Um, personally, I would take him out. But as we don't have a natural opener in there, it's not an ideal position, to, particularly as Johnny has just gone in and, and had his knock and hopefully restored a bit of confidence to then take that, someone who has suffered from moving up and down the order constantly, to then ask him to open, I agree, is far from ideal. But uh, for me, it's it's too much to ask someone who is young already, who, who clearly is struggling with the pressure to to carry on in this in this I mean the only I suppose the only saving grace is there's nothing riding on this anymore and 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 I suspect if you asked him he would say well I'd rather play and um I'd rather take my chance and show you that I can do it um but uh, my instinct is that you know irreparable damage is being done to careers at the moment um Mark Asip Hamid is struggling you were right. There's not many times I say that to you. But the um, when you're facing the new ball in Australia on bouncing tracks that you're not used to against the likes of Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark, and then Scott Boland coming from nowhere and bowling fantastically well, or Josh Hazelwood earlier on in this in the series, it isn't easy, is it? No, it isn't easy. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I was worried about taking him to Australia. This type of thing could happen and destroy his confidence. Um I would actually, given the last test match, I would see no point in taking him out now. I, I think actually it might destroy his confidence even more if you take him out now. He'd be desperate to play in that last game. There's nothing, I mean, you know, England obviously wants to win it. But, um, yeah, he's, I mean, I've got emotional kind of, not ties with him personally, but from a professional point of view as a supporter watching him to want him to do well. But, um, there was a great article written by Steve James in the in the Times yesterday. I'm not a cricket coach, so like he is, but 
you know, everything he said was kind of what I think of Hamid is too static in the crease. He pushes his hands forwards. You know, he doesn't get forward or back. He's so rigid and static and almost terrified that he just gets lost. And he's lost all his movement of going forward or back. And he just gets stuck in the crease and he doesn't get out to great balls. You know, it's mm. like he's a walking wicket. But even so, even so, I think it's probably because of my supporter attachment to him from a while ago. I still give him the last test match. You know, Burns, they, they took Burns out to work on his technique. He's only been out the side two weeks. And I, I, I saw a, they they said that on the television coverage yesterday or day before. And they showed a three or four balls in the nets that Rory Burns was hitting and saying he's been working on his technique and they've sort, they sorted him out effectively. And I was watching his front foot going across towards his off stump again and it was no different than before. And I'm thinking, yeah, that doesn't look any different to me, Rory. It might be look great in the nets and you might be hitting the ball nicely in the nets, but as we all know, hitting the ball in the nets and hitting the ball in the middle is not the same thing, is it? And no. I, I, I would like to see Haseeb, Haseeb stay in. I'd I mean, like to see. I'd like to see them. If if you if you choose somebody, I mean, we've seen Josh Butler get fifty six Test matches for goodness' sake. That's an extreme. But you you at least if you identify somebody that you believe in, you've got to give them a little bit of a run, haven't you? I think I think with with yeah, I think you got those. I think you got, personally, I would give him the net. I'd always give someone one extra Test match and one less or one extra game. Um, perversely. You know the the pitch of Tasmania may may play yeah. into his hands slightly more. It might be more of a typical English pitch where it's not so bouncy. It might just seem around a bit more. It might... well, I'll tell you what, Rito, our friend Rito from uh, India has been in touch, and Rito's message is: Hobart is England's best chance of winning a Test on this tour. Cool and wet conditions. It's definitely cooler there. And um, pink ball, which. I, I know what you're like saying. Australia has never lost a pink ball test, and the pitch should be as flat as Adelaide. Mind you, shouldn't be as flat as Adelaide. He says, mind you, there must be a lot. They, their batting must be a lot better, though. I mean, yeah, that final point goes without saying. They need to score runs, otherwise they're never going to win the test match. But Phil, from by all accounts, I've never actually really seen a game in Hobart, and I'm looking forward to that test. And it's great that Australia or cricket Australia are taking it to Hobart rather than thinking where's the biggest stadium? Let's sell them as many tickets as possible. But it, do, it does give England, a, I guess, a little bit of a chance, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I, I think mainly because the, the Aussies won't have the... I mean, obviously, they'll all have played there and they'll all be used to it, but they won't have played there in the test format. It'll be you know, it'll be novel to them insofar as it's novel to us. So that maybe a slight leveller. The problem I have is that we, we put all our eggs in the basket of the day-nighter before and that was going to be our best chance of winning and, and that was a, a royal slap in the arse. Well, I, I did say before that, that England's record in pink ball test matches isn't fantastic, and Australia's record is absolutely excellent. It's, it's a, it, they haven't lost at home in, or haven't lost a pink ball test match anywhere. And the other issue is the Australians are far more competitive in English comp- uh, conditions than than we are in Australian conditions. So I, I mean, I yeah, look, I, when we had our predictions at the beginning, I think I, I said three one. We'll get a, we'll sneak a dead rubber at the end in Hobart. I know nothing. This is. As optimistic as I'm going to get about one, I'm still going to stick to that three-one. Going back to the team, uh, we've done the openers uh, and Rory Burns. Um, let's move further down. Uh, I'm going to mention him. I've got to. He's part of the team. Josh Butler. He's heading home. I mean, in the in the last Test match, Phil, the the middle order, um, the Stokes, <coughs> uh, Bearstow, Butler, middle order. They 
bones were falling off. There were pieces, wheels were coming off. They were they were broken men, weren't they? By the end of that test match, they'd been hit and hurt, and um, that yeah. five, six, and seven in the order was uh, the walking wounded. And Josh Butler's on on a plane home now. But it was so admirable to watch him put up with that and still fight on. I mean, that that's what makes you know it, that's what makes it all tolerable is when you see your team competing in that way. It it, it, it the the juxtaposition with previous performances is so. Uh, it's so evident, it's so clear uh, and so frustrating. It's what makes the previous performances so um, aggravating. Um, but that said, I have to say, every time Stokes hit a ball, I just started thinking, well, you, I know. It, how much damage are you doing? Um, he, and he, the he, problem he is... Literally, he literally winced after every movement, didn't he? Yeah. And you just think, well, you, you love to see someone showing that level of commitment. It's such an inspiration. But equally, you know how silly it is. You know, it, it, and... In, in a lost cause as well. I mean, if there was an Ashes riding on it, yeah, you understand it. But in, we might come, we might live to regret a few you, of those. Films. You know, when you watch those feature films, Phil, when the the Marine is taken prisoner and they're torturing him, trying to get uh, get the information. Ben Stokes would be the last one to give out anything, wouldn't he? Yeah, he, he seems uh, to have he, a very high pain threshold. He does. Uh, look, it, I mean, the superlatives have been used by other people about it, but. Uh, and I doubt I'm saying anything novel, but he is, you know, he's the type of competitor everybody wants. And I think it's, when people ask you who, who's who's the best all-rounder we've had and you're comparing Flintoff and both of them, and it, there'll be probably be the three names that are tossed into it. I'm sure you'll chuck other ones in. I do wonder if it's this level of um, defiance that might make him ultimately, when, when we all reflect on careers at the end of them, who, who our favourite all-rounder is. I have a feeling he might well be my favourite of all of them. Mark, the on Ben Stokes, just kind of developing what Phil said there. Um, I've seen a, a couple of people um, suggest that he's not a great batsman, but a player of great innings, and that kind of that it doesn't necessarily mean the headingly one all the time. But in the same way, in the last Test match. That was a great innings because that was pain. Every single shot he played was pain, and he was doing that for the team, wasn't he? He was, and I think averages can be misleading at times. It's when you get your runs, it's important. Um, I think I'd take that a little bit back from Stokes because I think I think his batting over the last two and a half years has been has been re- relatively consistent. He averages in in the in forty two, forty three. So his batting has actually been improving, whereas his bowling has become has kind of levelled off a little bit. So I think he's uh, technically a very good batsman. He's one of his. You know, behind Drew, he's probably our best batsman, I would say, um, if, I'm, if I'm being honest. I mean, I know we haven't got many to, to choose from, but I think technically he's improved as a batsman as his career has gone on. He gets runs when you want them, um, so he gets the hard runs. Um, he's capable of being explosive, as we saw Edinley, where he was explosive and defensive. So he's got all facets to his game. So, well, one of the things that illustrates a little bit what we were saying, though, is that I saw the stats of his Ashes stats, um, and his first innings average is twenty-four. His second innings average was about fifty something. It, England, yeah, this kind of goes back to what we were saying about England need first innings runs, and Ben's another one that doesn't necessarily get the first innings runs, but then almost dies trying to save them in the second innings. Yeah, well, there is that possible criticism of him in, in that in that respect. Um, be interesting to see if he's, you know, what is um, if we take this series out, what is 
what his first innings runs against Australia in the last series was compared to previous. But, I mean, we can make all those comparisons. And, yes, we need to get more first innings runs on the board. But I think, generally speaking, Ben Stokes has improved significantly as a batsman. And rather than saying he's a, a batsman who plays great innings, I just think he's a very good batsman who can adapt to different situations. And I think he's found his rhythm in the last test match. You know, he's been and played much test cricket. And um, he showed in that last test match what a brave batsman he was, but also what a very good batsman he was. So I dispute that about he's a great innings player. That It shows what a mark he's made on Australians, though. I was talking to uh, Lucas earlier on a different podcast, and Lucas was saying that even when Ben Stokes came to the crease, Lucas was still nervous that England might do something ridiculous and Ben Stokes might do something incredible and take them close to victory. Rito's been back on. He says the Fox feed that uh, they watch in India did an analysis between Hamid and Marnus Labashain's techniques. Um, it showed that Marnus was batting outside the popping crease and his hands were close to his body. Effectively, he was in control, whereas Hamid was struck, stuck in the crease and was playing way in front of his body and was therefore lacking the control. So um, thanks for that, Rito. And I think that basically backs up what you were saying, Mark, about Hamid and the fact he probably needs to work a little bit on what he's doing. Um, one man who's had to drive an awful long way over the last uh, few days um, after playing in the Big Bash, gets the call. Apparently, he said to Ashley Giles, I'll come and I'll do this test match, but I want to play every single white ball game in the Caribbean once I get over there. He's kind of used his bargaining chip, Sam Billings, to uh, make sure he gets the white ball games over in uh, in the West Indies. So I think he might miss the first one. Um, but he's had to drive nine my, nine hours down 500 miles down the uh, Gold Coast, I think, to get to uh, the, uh, the join up with the squad. But... Um, I, an opportunity, Phil, that he wasn't expecting. Um, it's an opportunity that if we'd been in England, he probably wouldn't get. But because he's there, because basically the wicketkeepers have all fallen on the um, and, and got broken fingers and, the, and are struggling, um, yep. some things it looks like he's going to get a go. I thought a, a kind of in tandem as well. Ollie Pope, I thought, in the second innings, did very well with the gloves. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's easy to come in with. It's all about expectation, isn't it? Ollie Pope goes in. No one's expected. I mean, I know he can keep. We all know he can keep. But we, our, <laughs> our expectation levels are so low that when he comes in, and he did, there was that bouncer from Root, wasn't there, which um, yeah. everybody liked. And he took I, it I really think that's well. my favourite moment of this actually series, actually. <laughs> it was a cracker. It was a, I, I love the uh, the uh, one for the over from Kawaja afterwards. Yeah. That, that that really made it. Um, yeah, Pope, Pope did a decent job. I wouldn't want him keep him permanently. I've, I mean, Billings, I... I like him as a player. Um, I've had the pleasure of speaking to him once. He was quite an impressive um, character. I found him to be anyway. Uh, and he's a very intelligent, articulate fellow. Very articulate. Yeah. I, 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 re- I, I had about twenty minutes with him, and he was a really intelligent, articulate. Well, in- he, he just seemed very purposeful, and I've no doubt that he will bring a good attitude, quite an Australian attitude actually, um, to the to, to the dressing room. He's, he's very confident. Um, and uh, hopefully he, you know, low expectations, given the way keepings have gone uh, through the series, he can come in with the gloves and and um, and go with it. I saw Jack Russell tweeting today about about Carey and and saying that this is Australia is actually quite a good place to keep, presumably because the bounce comes up. It's not it's it's all around your chest, so it, it makes it. Um, a bit, I suspect, a bit easier on the on the joints, and uh, you know, a, a bit easier to take around head height. So hopefully he comes in, and in theory it should be a bit easier 
for him to come straight in with the batting. Um, I personally think of him as a bit of a one-day player. He's, I, I think he's quite in the mould of Josh Butler in that regard. But for a one-off test, hopefully he'll come in with no baggage and 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 take his opportunity. I mean, he's certainly got the mindset. You, you mentioned Kerry there. I mean, he's, he's had a bit of a dodgy time with the gloves as well. And I think Australia have actually settled themselves with a Josh Butler-esque kind of problem with Alex Kerry because he's very similar, I think. He's, his batting's maybe not... He's very good in one-day cricket, but maybe not quite attuned to test cricket. And his keeping's not yeah. quite top quality. So it's going to be interesting to see how the, Australia deal with pro- that. It's the Gilchrist problem. Everyone's yeah. looking for the new Gilchrist, including the Aussies. And Gilchrist was an exception. There's a Gilchrist mould somewhere in the in the Australian cricket board, and they're trying to in pieces shove yeah. people into it, aren't they? And they don't quite fit. In terms of Sam Billings, though, Mark, he's got an opportunity. You would think everything else being equal, well, knowing England, they'll recall Joss Butler for the West Indies. But if it's not going to be Joss, it'll be Ben Folkes, who you'd imagine would be next in line. But Sam Billings could cause England a problem, couldn't he? If he keeps beautifully and scores back-to-back hundreds, then England have a bit of a problem there. Uh, well, if he does that, yeah. Um, I think he is an impressive character. He's kind of grown on me as um, over the last couple of years, really. And I think he's quite an impressive, impressive young man. I keep saying young man, I'm getting old. so. Um, and it'd be interesting to see how he goes. Anybody under 45, that's basically yeah, for what right, you're saying. Right, they're all young. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how he goes because he's, he's a solid character. And as a left field pick, you know, you might be looking at your next wicket keeper captain there. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, just, I'm just throwing that out there. No, no, it's right. I mean, I've seen I've seen a few people say that, and the, I mean, Joe Root, whether he continues or not, they'll decide that. I'm sure after the series is finished, and they'll sit down and talk about it. And if he continues, it's not going to be forever. So at some stage, there's going to be a captain. That, you know, a captain comes in to replace Joe Root, and I think one of the things England have got to do over the next. Um, year two, however long Joe continues for, is um, work out who that captain's going to be because there's been no obvious candidate because they're not really put in anybody that's got captaincy credentials, I don't think. And Sam Billings has. You know, maybe Tom Abel has. Will Rhodes at Warwickshire has. There's other people out there who have got proven captaincy records. It's just whether they can play test cricket. And the hiatus between now and Joe actually finishing as captain could be a chance to blood a couple to see what well, they I can think, do. I think Billings... Um... See how Billings gets on. Personally, I think that's the end for Butler. I don't think he'll go to the West Indies. I think that'll be the end for him, personally. Um, so it'll be interesting. I, I didn't think, of... Mark, that um, I didn't think Joss looked at all happy all the way through this Ashes. I mean, it, it, I've been critical of him for ages, but at least he's been bubbly and a bit, you know, you can see the sparkle in his eyes sometimes when he was playing for England. But he looks dead behind the eyes during this series. Yeah. And, he, and he looks like he's just fed up with it all. He's played 57 test matches now, 56. He's not going to get any better. I mean, we've had the argument now for nearly two years. I've defended him, you defended him. But I think, you know, you haven't defended him, but, you know, he averages 30-odd or whatever. But I think we, England are now going to move on from him. I don't. I think this is the right time. They'll see that as the right time. I don't think he'll go to the West Indies. And I think it'll be interesting how Billing gets on in this game. We've got folks, as obviously... Who's in the background? You have got Ollie Pope, who obviously kept very well, and you've got other keeper batsmen in county cricket as well. They could, they're all over the show, aren't they? So it'll be interesting. You've got James Brace, you've just got a hundred on the Lions tour. Yeah. Um, so there are there are other options. So I don't. I think this will be the end of Butler now. I'm pretty convinced about it. So it'll be interesting how Billings gets on. I, I was speaking to. Um... A current county wicketkeeper uh, uh, last week, and 
in defence of Butler, they pointed out that he had to learn his game in the test arena. But then he also pointed out that he's 55 tests in. And by now, he, if you're going to learn it, it should have been learned. He played plenty of first-class cricket. Mm. Uh, played, you know, he, he's only got six first-class centuries in, yeah. you know, 120-odd. You know, it is what it is. I mean, it's not a bad... He, he is what it is. And I think we've tried to rightly think, oh, you know, we've picked him in the test matches thinking he's the next Gilchrist again because everyone's got this Gilchrist now. But actually, he hasn't got the game for red ball cricket. He's a white do ball you, cricketer. That's do, you know, I'm not, I, do you know what it is? I, I think it's... If he was in any other batting unit, he'd have been a success. I, I, I think if he was coming in under less pressure, if he was coming in with teams that he wasn't constantly having to try and save test matches, I, I think we'd have seen a bit more from him. because well, we, he haven't is, seen it. we haven't seen it in first-class cricket. I mean, he's got exactly the same record in first-class cricket as test cricket, so I'm not so sure, Phil. I know what you're saying. If he was I, Phil, as well, the, the other thing is that he, this is England's test team and it is test cricket and this is how test cricket works, isn't it? You don't always get the platform to tee off from and um, very rarely in England's in England's team do you get that. And the, and the challenge, I mean, what Gilchrist did do um, to, to kind of get that Gilchrist mould out again was when when he came in at 300 for five, he turned it into 500 for five. Yeah. When he came in at 64 for five, it still turned into 300 for five because he was capable of rescuing and teeing off. And that was the difference yeah. that, you know. I, I'm just conscious that, that Joss Butler has, has got so much stick. And you and the point you rightly make is that he has looked absolutely miserable behind the stumps. And he, you're never as good as people say you are. You're never as bad as people say you are. And he has had um, a torrid series and a torrid few series. I just think in 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 a better team we'd have seen more of him. You're right; the circumstances are there. Um, I just think we need to bear in mind that you know you, I, that he has had a lot to contend with in this particular backline, as they all have. Each individual in this team has had to put up with the fact that there are significant deficiencies all around this batting unit, and therefore they're all being expected to to stand up and identify themselves as the hero of the team. Root is the I, only I, one that's I managed felt, to do it. I, I felt that um, Ollie Pope, actually, it was... Yeah, I don't think Ollie Pope's the future for the wicket-keeping spot, but when he came out, he was chirpy. He was yeah. kind of like... The body language was positive, and it actually made, made a real difference for me watching it, because you could see him, he was up for it and he was sparking he was getting that that was transmitting along the slip cord and around the rest of the field because the it's such a vital role. Set, it sets the tone doesn't it and no. the, you know your point about Josh Butler and the England team I think with Joe Root as well you know Joe Root's been brilliant for the last 12 months you know his record third highest aggregate scores in test cricket etc but if you in one of the rain periods I was watching uh, some old footage of the 2010-11 series you put a batting order where Cook Strauss um, Trot, Root, Peterson. And you watch how many more runs Joe Root would have scored because he he wouldn't have had the pressure on his shoulders to try and carry the um, the batting order. He'd have just batted around the rest of them. Do you know what, mate? I wonder if it, it's actually made him as a batsman. I, I, I wonder if there there are certain players, I think, that, that... I mean, it's a bit like Stokes. When he has to, he gets down and he makes those runs. I, I think Root is that type of character and he's had to carry it almost single-handedly. I, I wonder if, in a better lineup, he might have been slightly more anonymous because he didn't need to make those runs. But we'll I, never know. It's all speculative. I think it's all hypothetical, isn't it? I think the, the issue with Butler is, is we talk about deficiencies. Well, he's one of the deficiencies. Rue is the only 
the person that isn't deficient. He's had a great go at it. No one's criticising him. I think he's had a great go at it, um, but it just hasn't worked out. So he can go and be a great white ball cricketer. End of story. But no one's. I'm certainly not criticising him. I, I'd certainly say to him, thanks, Joss. I mean, I, I, I was never in favour of Joss Butler coming back in 2018, as you all know. But I actually admire him for giving Test cricket a go because Test cricket. I love Test cricket, and he's tried. And he's trying to make himself into the best test cricketer he can be. He may he may not quite have done it as well as he would have wanted or I would have wanted or anybody in the English team would have wanted. And I, I think it's time to say to him, thanks ever so much for trying. Um, it's been great to see my name on the back of a test match shirt for the last three years. But it's now time for you to go off and dominate white ball cricket and be the best the, yeah, the best in the universe. Replace the, replace the universe boss and be the best in the universe. Um, Chris Silverwood. Um, may he get well soon and his family um, with the COVID and everything like that because um, regardless of everything else, um, that's far more important. So um, if you're watching, Chris, good luck and uh, good best wishes to all of your family. Um, but there is a kind of slightly unfortunate narrative for Chris, isn't there, that he's the best performance England have put in was when he was in a hotel room, not with the team, Phil. Yeah, well... <laughs> Yeah, it's difficult to argue with again. Um, all I'd say is I'd take him back at Essex. He did a fantastic job with us. So um, if it's the end of his race, and you know, I still think you've got a you've got a, a a poor hand that he's had to play. Yeah, the cards he's been dealt, there aren't many that would have produced an Ashes winning team out of them. But it's hard not to imagine. I mean, there have clearly been mistakes made. Clearly, been mistakes made for which. Obviously, he um, bears some responsibility for. So, uh, look, I, I don't, I don't think you're a bad. Uh, he, he's a bad coach. Um, you know, good coaches have have bad series and bad runs uh, or bad luck. Um, but it's it's not working. It's inevitably going to have to be reviewed at the end of this series, I suspect. and I sent the Badger a message and now I'm on the podcast with this jingle. If you would like to get in touch with the Cricket Badger podcast, then tweet at cricket underscore badger. Is Chris Civil going to be Ashley Jar's fall guy, Mark? Probably. Um, probably. Um, the roles should be, there should be a red ball uh, coach and a white ball coach. They should be split. But Giles made that decision as we've gone back to the beginning of the podcast. He will probably be Giles's fall guy. I feel sorry <clears> for him. Um, I think he's a little bit out of his depth. However, unlike what most people say in the press, I'd be slightly contrary and say I would give him the tour of the West Indies. Um, a bit like why I'd give him Hamid the give me the um, the last Test match. I think you've got to you've got to understand the circumstances he's been working under you've got to recognize the mistakes that has been made but you've got to give him an opportunity maybe to rectify some of those mistakes i think that's a really good point mark because i i think that with batsmen as well i think with hamid hamid's a good example you you, england pick a player because they're playing well or they look like they could play well they put them into the team they might have a little bubble of success or it might not be great from the start but you test cricket's a step up for everybody and you've got to get used to it and you've got to try and work out what's required you know the fact that it's more intense the fact it's over five days you have to concentrate longer etc so as a batsman you've got to work out the technical side of it the mental side of it that's not easy 
So somebody that fails and then gets dropped doesn't ever get the chance to put that right. Whereas somebody that goes down that little dip and then actually comes back out the other side of it, actually understanding test cricket a little bit more off, off the back of that, is then possibly even better equipped to then go on. And Chris yeah. Silverwood's the same, isn't it? You know, he, he's he'll learn some lessons from this. Ashes. I think I think they, they put the structure in place. They've had you know they've had a terrible twelve months in terms of test cricket. Let's not let's not beat around the bush. We know that. But they played um, all the best teams as well. Yeah, they played they? all the best teams. Yeah. He deserves the West Indies. He deserves. They might as well show his, show the commitment to him through the winter and review it after the winter. I see no real point in getting a coach in right in the middle of the winter. Give him the benefit, let him see what he can, see if he can turn it around. Um, I think, you know, Charles needs to do that. He's got a structure there, he, and then it looks poor on Charles if he just dispenses with him after the Ashes, I think. It just makes him look even worse. It does make him look like his fall guy. Who knows if they can get cursed in before the West Indies? He might be tied up with the IPL. I don't know what he's doing. Um, you know, I think he so, has got a role. I think he has got a role in the IPL early season, and that's got a lot of money involved. So God knows where he'll come. Up. I would personally, I would give Silverwood the tour of the West Indies to see if he can turn it round, to see if he's learned from his mistakes, and to see if he can come up with a, a vision and a structure that works. Personally, um, it won't happen. They'll probably sack him because uh, I think Root will carry on. I think the vibes now are that Root's going to carry on. Mm. So. Therefore, it seems a little unfair if Root carries on and Silverwood gets the push. Uh, the, yeah, the, only thing against that, Phil, the, the only thing against that, Phil, is that the murmurings I'm getting through the press is that some of the players are, are happy for Root to carry on because they see him as one of their their man, but Silverwood's maybe not been quite as popular. I mean, the only thing against that is that it's not, you know, playing for England isn't about being mollycoddled, is it? It's about playing for England. Precisely. Yeah, I have well. I think you've answered your own point there, haven't you, James? It, okay, well, thank I, you, Phil. Thank you for that. <laughs> but, I mean, players are, players are, yeah, they're, they can have their views. I'm sure they'll all have coaches they prefer and coaches they don't. It's also, I mean, it's natural to try and find other reasons, natural to blame away from yourself. Um, it takes a bit of insight to assess and realise your own failings. And, and look, ultimately, there's a squad there of um, 14 uh, that have not delivered as a squad. Um, there aren't many that haven't been asked. I think Lawrence, uh, who's not played, Overton, Lawrence. Best and Lawrence and Overton, yeah. Yeah, so um, there's not many that can say they haven't contributed to the uh, to the uh, debacle that we've seen. So, and, and the, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Mark makes a, a really solid point, actually, that you think it's the wheels are already in motion for the West Indies, that um, it... it I just from a logistical point of view, getting someone in now when squads are, are being selected, decisions being made about who's going, etc. Uh, it does seem late in the day to throw that all up in the air with a new. I mean, that, new that's coach. a good point, actually, because the white ball squad is probably in the air now. I think that they're setting off any any day around here. They might have already gone. Um, the white ball squad is going to the West Indies to play the one day series. Um, it's a totally separate squad to the Ashes squad. The Ashes guys then go home, have a week off, and then they head out to, at the start of March for um, the, the Test Series. So Chris Silverwood's coaching staff, you'd imagine, it'll all, all be sorted out. They will be over there with the white ball team. It'll be his yeah. coaching staff that are out there, and then he'll presumably join them as quickly as he can. So um, it, 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 just from a logistical side of things, as Mark was suggesting, Phil, if you're going to bring in AN, or the, whether it's Gary Kirsten or somebody else, 
having that little bit of a run up and a time, a bit of time to think about it. And then maybe at the start of an English series, having a, a new broom coming into sweet play might be the right way forward. Yeah. I, 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 I think I'd, I tend to agree with that. Yeah. But I, I, and, and also it's asking a lot of the new coach to come in and just pick, pick up somebody else's mess and sort it out on the job. Well, they're, they're, so, um, they're Chris Silver's selections as well, aren't they? Yeah. So I, yeah, the, I think Mark's point is a powerful one, actually, um, that common sense should say you should, you should keep it then for this, for this series. And, you know, if he, if he manages to, to uh, see some recovery, it's his chance to redeem himself and, you know, show that he can do the job. Um, uh, yeah, I did. I, yeah, I, I fully agree with Mark. Anything else you two want to get off your chest before we finish today? Anything burning in your in your throat that you wanted to, wanted to say all the way through that I've never let you? I can't, say, I can't say it on edge, James. I can't say it on edge. So. <laughs> and you never got your call up, Mark, either, did you? You, you were on your way at one stage. Up. I didn't get my call up, but uh, you know, there's still time. There's still time. Well, I mean, if, if there's one thing that's really the glaring error on Chris Silverwood's CV, it's the fact that he's never called up Mark Hilton as the uh, mystery spinner into the squad. Yeah, even just on a consultancy basis. That's all he had to do. <laughs> Phil, any, anything you want to finish with? Uh, no, I mean, just hopefully now. I mean, what, what's the time difference for Hobart? When am I When am I going to be staying up to? 4 a.m. start, I think. You can get up at 5 o'clock and see most of the play. I think, so. I think it's a 4 a.m. start. It's, it's, it's a day-nighter like the others, like the right. Adelaide one. You can have a lie in 5 o'clock, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's good news. Um uh, you know, it'd be nice to see a new venue and um, some, something to build on. I'd, yeah, I'd, in terms of selection, I suppose, I'd, I'd like to see Lawrence get a game. I can't um, understand why he hasn't. Um, I understand that maybe from a couple of people out there, he's maybe not looked as good in the nets as some of the others and maybe hasn't worked as hard. That's that's the feedback I'm getting. But um, on the basis that he was out there in early 2020 and was starring for the Lions, and averaged 119, I think, across six matches for the Lions in Australia, in Australian conditions, against some pretty decent bowling attacks, then you would it kind of doesn't make sense to me that he hasn't been looked at yet. When England's batting has been absolutely woeful, they've got somebody out there that's actually got confidence in that environment, which, you know, so for me, Dan Lawrence has to come in, especially if, uh, you know, if, if they haven't, um, if they have to replace Ben Stokes as well in the batting order, it would, it would have to be Dan Lawrence, surely. Um, Johnny Burstow, Hopefully his his finger will be enough for him to come back into the uh, into the team to bat, but might have to replace Bairstow as well with a broken thumb. So we'll see we'll see how that goes. It might be the walking wounded watching from the sidelines and a, a totally fresh side out there under Joe Root in uh, in Tasmania. But Phil, Mark, we'll look forward to watching that. I'm sure we'll uh, chat after that game and at the, the end of the series to look back over the uh, the five matches despite the fact that that might feel a little bit like a wake rather than a, a celebration. But uh, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Bye-bye. And thank you, everybody out there, for for watching Stroke Listening, the Cricket Badger podcast. Um, heading into 2022, not long now till our 500th edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. That'll be coming very, very soon indeed. So looking forward to bringing you that and looking forward to talking to you all very soon as well. See you again next week. Podcast Network. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.